Welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. It feels like it's been forever. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy Hobbit Day, Joe. I discovered that the 22nd of September is apparently the birthday of both Frodo and Bilbo Baggins. Okay. All right. Some parts of that I can get behind, but me and you, we're neither of us as Hobbit guys, right? We're not. I don't do The Hobbit. You don't do The Hobbit. I enjoyed the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. I have only ever seen snippets of The Hobbit movies and have no desire to see anything more than that. I'm good. I already knew how it ended. Coming up on today's show, we are halfway through WCOOP 2022. More than halfway? Anyway, yeah, we're going to talk. Two thirds. Yeah, Three we're going to talk. <laughs> we're going to talk to hard. Howard. Math is hard. Howard's going to get to the bottom of that. That's what Howard's for. We're going to speak to Howard Swains in the current state of the WCOOP union. Uh, and we might as well check in with someone who's put a couple of WCOOP titles under his belt already just this year and a shit ton of second place finishes. Welcoming back to the show today, Benny Glosser. I uh, I went and played some live poker up in Northern California. Yes, you hinted about this on the WCube live streams. Yeah, uh, I actually have a few hands to talk about. Do do people want to talk about hands? I feel like maybe every once in a while we could sneak yeah, some hands in. I think towards the end of the show, and we're trying to mix things up a little bit here, so don't think that Superfan versus Stapes is going to be the last thing. Post that, we're going to have some Joe Stapleton hand analysis with a couple of caveats, the first being that we are going to do a full episode of analyzing Joe Stapleton's play, hopefully with Maria Ho in the coming weeks. Yes. Um, the second one is, these are interesting hands and not just an opportunity to rant about how bad you run. They are interesting hands. Now, I will say this. Um, it was the biggest losing weekend of my life, um, which I'm not exactly proud of, but I think it's good to be honest about these things. Yep. And also, they're mostly hands where I do lose, but that's because I find out what the showdown is. And maybe I should come back every once in a while with some hands where I win, and we can talk about those as well, because I probably am not playing my best in winning hands either. So good point, but it's not just bad beat stories, although okay. they do focus on hands where i've lost this week's super fan is bennett griffin and he is doing the ultra violent sam peckinpah western the wild bunch <laughs> i watched the wild bunch last night it is ultra violent it gets a very high uh rotten tomatoes rating when i went to rent the movie it's not very good it's not a very good movie. It, I can understand why it would have been groundbreaking yes. for the time. Um, I think you do have to remember the era in which it was made, a time where America was embroiled in a very controversial conflict, just coming out of the Hayes Code where suddenly you could show violence on screen, and it was at the peak of the revisionist Western where I guess filmmakers were saying, guys, this is what it was probably like, not this glossy John Wayne, Gary Cooper landscape that's been sold to you for the last few decades. Yeah, and so I did respect that aspect of it, and I did respect the fact – I kind of liked how they wove in history. I don't know how often actual history was being woven into the Westerns because I'm not a Western expert, but it was kind of cool to see the Mexican Revolution sort of represented on screen uh, in the way they did also. I think what's incredible is you realize how recent – this film is set it's in the 20th yeah. century it's in 1914 it's, it's the the year the first world war started and 
even in some parts of America, it was still like the 1850s. Yeah, no, we we spent a good deal of the movie sort of trying to figure out what year it was actually supposed to take place. You've got automatic handguns, yeah. you've got uh, machine guns, you've got a car in it, uh, which is all pretty interesting stuff. And uh, I'm glad that you sort of... Um, uh, that, that uh, whenever we watch these older movies where there are sort of like gray heroes, quote unquote, um, yeah, I, I'm always like, is it just with the modern lens that I feel conflicted about the characters in this movie, or were they always supposed to be conflicted? I'm glad to know that it sort of was intended that way, and not Absolutely. just me Absolutely. in 2022 being like, none of these people are good guys. Yeah, and um, bear in mind, until the mid 60s, it had to be very clearly defined who were the good guys and who were the bad guys, and the b- bad guys were literally never allowed to win. That was written into the code that all filmmakers had to work by. My own personal relationship with this movie is a funny one. Joe, I don't think it's going to shock you or anyone listening to this podcast that as a teenager, I did not date a lot of girls. Um, now, part of that <laughs> was my sheer awkwardness. Part of that was the fact that I went to an all-boys school, and on the one occasion where I had my shot, the one chance where I had to go on a date when I was 15 or 16. It was at a time when I was going to the National Film Theatre, now the BFI South Bank in central London, and watching a lot of old movies. So I took my date to see The Wild Bunch. This is not a date movie. Can I say that with some certainty? This is not a movie you should take a first date to. Yeah, by the way, I don't want, like, we won't get super heavy into this, but not only is it violent, but, like, there's a lot of violence towards women in the movie. Um, A lot of uh, what we call statutory now these days also of men with much younger women, women being given as gifts and prizes and probably didn't go over all that well with, uh, this was another teenage girl you were with, I assume? It was indeed, yeah. So um, let's just chalk that one up to uh, (laughs) bad judgment bad decision making look even though we've been really busy pretty much from barcelona through the first few weeks of w coop we have had time to watch a few things um i very strongly recommend and i appreciate the series is now nearly a year old is dope sick which i think had some success at the emmys recently is a mini series that was produced for hulu i think in the u.s and is on disney plus in most parts of europe michael keaton rosario dawson and I think is outstanding. Um, I think most people are aware of the opioid crisis that has gripped America for the last two decades. John Oliver has covered it extensively. This film kind of has a number of composite characters in it, but depicts the Sacklers as the pure evil that they probably are. Um, I think it's excellent television, and I cannot recommend it strongly enough. You know, someone I my my old partner Huff was not a fan of it and sort of dissuaded me from watching it when it first came out. But uh, between you and my girlfriend both saying it's it's pretty good, maybe I'll give it a shot. Um, that's it for you. Just the just the and whilst on the same platform, I know that Andor has just dropped the first three episodes. Uh, I'm will definitely have watched those three shows by the time we next convene. Um, I have been watching the documentary series. I started this a few months ago and just got bored during the first episode and stopped. But it was our producer, Chris, who said, keep going. It gets really good. Light and Magic, the documentary series about industrial light and magic, about the history of special effects. And a great reminder of the innovation that George Lucas bankrolled 
throughout the 1980s that we probably wouldn't have digital editing yeah. if it wasn't for EditDroid that then evolved into becoming um, Avid, that the Pixar computer was developed at Lucasfilm and the guys operating that wanted to be animators, wanted to actually make a movie which didn't necessarily sit with what Lucas wanted to do. So he sold Pixar to Steve Jobs and it then became Pixar Studios, then became part of the Disney empire. Um, just as a kind of sideline, one of the guys who was one of the computer graphics nerds working at ILM, he and his brother developed a piece of software on the Mac, which you might have heard of, Joe, Photoshop. So all of this stuff that has come from this empire, which Lucas basically funded because he believed in technical advance. He believed in a better way of doing things. And yeah, it's a really well-made series and I've been very much enjoying it. Do you think all of those contributions to society make up for episodes one, two, and three or no? Do you know what? I definitely <laughs> think that they offset. I think so too. That's uh, I did. I was not aware of any of that. You're doing a good job selling that documentary. Uh, I watched a documentary a couple nights ago called Sins of the Mother, Netflix. All the all the streamers are like putting out a documentary a week. It's hard to keep up with them all. Um, I, unfortunately, I always used to think it was like not really me to watch like these true crime documentaries, but they are good when I when we have people over, when there's like multiple people and you want to like talk yeah, about yeah. stuff and pontificate. So we do end up watching some of this what I consider to be garbage true crime stuff. Um, I watched Under the Banner of Heaven, which is based on true crime, but then there was a novel, and then uh, Hulu did a series with Andrew Garfield. I really enjoyed that about some murder, uh, like in the 70s in, in Utah, some Mormon stuff going on. James, I know you watched this a while ago, but I watched We Own This City. Loved it. The uh, John Bernthal, Josh Charles show. Maybe we get Josh Charles on as a guest eventually. Um, we're pretty friendly on Twitter, and he's done some of our poker streams before. Yes. Um I watched The Bear, which came very highly recommended by everyone on Hulu. It was a very enjoyable watch. My girlfriend and I started watching The West Wing, which I know we'll be talking about a little bit more as I watch it for my second time. Uh, Blackbird was based on a true what? story. I watched. Yeah. Did you watch Blackbird? The Michael Flatley movie? Uh, no, no, no. Blackbird's like a true, true crime sort of dramatization with uh, Taron Edgerton. Oh, and, um, Oh. Uh, that's on Apple TV. Because you know that Michael Flatley made this vanity project a few years back, which is only just now getting released. It's his kind of attempt to be James Bond. And I have heard a rumor that the movie has a poker scene. So I fear that we have another shitty poker movie Monday on the horizon. I can't wait. I can't wait. We were I was I was just thinking about that while I was watching the Wild Bunch last night and I was like, God, I really hope that there's another poker movie Monday that pops up soon. Last movie by the way, all the stuff I just mentioned, I mentioned because I thought was was fun and worth watching or not necessarily fun, but like pretty decent TV. Yeah. Um, I watched a movie the other day. I was so happy to see it popped up on demand. I love the fact I always used to say, look, if you put a movie on demand and charge me 25 or even 30, maybe even $40, the day it comes out in theaters, I would pay for it just to watch it at home and not have to go to the theater. Agreed. And former podcast guest, John Hamm, 
while he was on the show, we asked him, I asked him specifically, I was interested, he was doing a Fletch reboot. The Fletch reboot came out on demand, I think it was 26 bucks. Uh, my girlfriend and I watched it, very enjoyable, was exactly as he described. James, I know you're not a huge fan of the original Fletch. Nah, it didn't really do much for me, I'm afraid. I love the original Fletch. I think it's hilarious. I think it's uh, a really interesting comedy mystery, which is tough to pull off. Uh, this movie is exactly as John Hamm described. Not quite as funny, not as much as a pure comedy as the original Fletch. But as I get older, I really love mysteries. And I really love just sort of the protagonists in these mysteries and how they unra- unravel the crimes and solve things. And I found Confess, Fe- Confess Fletch to be very enjoyable. And I hope they make the whole rest of the book series because I love John Hamm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's just he's just the best. He's just such I an easy watch. So love Confess Fletch, John Hamm. thumbs up. Uh, loved him as well in the Top Gun movie. Okay, let's get into it, Joe. Let's discuss the online series that is, quite frankly, dominating our lives right now. We are talking about the 2022 World Championship of Online Poker. Now, this was meant to be a mid-series update, but in reality, we're into the final few days. There's less than a week to go, with all the main events kicking off on Sunday the 25th. That means three weeks of tournaments are in the books. It also means there's a lot to cover with our WCOOP correspondent. He's got the looks, he's got the brains, he's Howard Swayze. Howard, I'm not 100% sure where to start. I guess... Maybe the headline stats at the time of recording, because at this point, I imagine the numbers are now silly. Wait, I know where to start. I want to find out how Howard feels about the animation and the music, because he sits there and like he's just tolerating. It seems like I'm surprised he's let us do it that long. In my opinion, it's better on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And did you say that in Barcelona, you have fans now because of this? (laughs) I, I I did not say that. No, I don't think that I've got any fans. I, I just had a, a couple of people who I've never met before saying hello to me. And I can only assume they recognize my face from uh, from my little meme there. But uh, the yeah, because that, that never normally happens. I, I, I much prefer to be squirreled away somewhere. I'm your fan. And uh, yeah, it's How usually the other Griffin, way around. Griffin was starstruck when he saw you in Barcelona. <laughs> That's what we've done to you. Well, uh, you know, I think that's Griffin's problem more than anybody's. (laughs) Griffin has many problems. All right, (laughs) status. Yeah, well, as you said there in the intro, yeah, it's quite a long way through already. 230 events have been completed already. Uh, That means 684,000 entries. Prize pools are at $62 million. And first places are already at... 10.5 10.5 million. I mean, obviously, there are tons of events at their midpoint as we speak. Yeah. Well, they're starting today and they're starting over the weekend. Uh, so it's still actually quite a long way to go. But yeah, the, those numbers are already pretty big. Yeah. Um, and I would like to highlight once again, we've talked about this on the streams, but the biggest accomplishments of the series, This is these are the stories that we like the most. We have had, at this point in time, three triple winners. We have, yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I think it's really been a story of four players, but three of them have had a, a, a triple winner. So the, those three, Jeez. just to recap, are Rui Ferreira, Rui NF, Jao Vieira, 
uh, Naza114 and Onion Dim of uh, Coco Jambo. So they have won three each, which, uh, you know, pretty incredible for, for them. And uh, But I also just want to quickly mention Benny Glazer, Glazer, sorry, because he has won two, but he's been runner-up five times. And like, this is, you know, that that's kind of amazing. Like, uh, and all of these guys are actually also getting heads up a lot. So Ferreira's got his three wins, but he's also got three second places. Benny, as I said, two wins and five second places. Uh, Jao Vieira, three wins and four second places. So all of them, like, you know, they, they've potentially won seven titles each if just the heads up had gone differently. Yeah. Uh, as for Onion Dimov, so he's got three wins and he's got no runner-ups. So he, he Howard closes it out. None of those heads up second place finishes were against each other, right? I actually think, you yes. know, I should have received, I think they were. Yeah, I, think, I actually think they were. Nasa oh, and Ferreira definitely, definitely were heads up in that's one of That's fucking them. wild. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, been a, there's been at least two events where the top three, whoever had won the from the top three would have won their second event. And there's probably even more, actually. I should have pulled stats on that. But yeah, there is a, they, they have been heads up against each other. That's for sure, yeah. But there have been so many multiple winners this series, like two or more titles. And it feels like more than usual. That's probably not the case. Maybe distorted by the fact that so many of these winners already had a lot of WCOOP titles. We've now got NASA on nine, Tobias Lechner's on eight. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does feel like that. I mean, it is it is actually uh, more than usual at this stage. So last year, we only had two three time winners and 13 double winners. Uh, so we're pretty much, you know, we're up to that point already. But in 2020, there were 16 doubles. So, you know, we, we still haven't quite got there. We were kind of roughly par for the course, so a little bit ahead, maybe. But you're absolutely right. Like, we know so many of these players now, you know, these are guys that show up for these uh, coops all the time. We we talk about them in W. We talk about. I mean, scoop. Yeah, and they win, it could be. They win it could be that it seems like that you know that we're noticing more double winners because we cover more online poker than ever before, right? Like this is still relatively new for us to be doing the entire stream of W Coop. So maybe it's just that we're becoming more familiar with the names. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I have gone back and, and you know, there's there's a there's a post on the blog of like W Coop year by year. So you can look back at all the double champions all the way back. But yeah, these guys are good. They know how to win these events and, and we now know them very well. So yeah, yeah. here they are. They're, they're you know, I, I, these names just leap out at me whenever I see them on the, uh, on the leaderboards. Yeah. Uh, so the last event that we covered was the Super High Roller, where we saw Mikiti Bodzikowski win his first WCOOP trophy. That's one like C. Darwin. If coming into this series, I never thought that <laughs> Bodzikowski wouldn't be uh, a multiple WCOOP winner. Um, but that was our focus on Wednesday night. What else happened that night, Howard? Yeah, sure. Well, that, that that was the super high roller, as you say, the 25K, but that was like the high buy-in of, of the Super Tuesday. So right. that same event was like there was a 2K and a 215 buy-in. You know, the low was the 215 buy-in. Uh, so guys, actually, that we've covered plenty of times before won those two. So a guy from Romania called Ecstasy Man, we've covered him tons. Like uh, he won the $215 event for 67K and Anye from Ukraine, another person that we've covered lots. Uh, and now he won it for 111K. That was for the, the, the 2K event. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, but last night was more than just that as well, because we also had, do you know, remember what if God, uh, he won a, yeah, it's won a 1K horse last, the 1K horse tournament last night. Now he's a weird one because we don't know his real name, but we've got a photo of him, which usually the other way around, because in 2014, what if God won 
two WCOOP events. And that was the time when they were giving bracelets away to WCOOP winners. And he came to a, an event soon after that. And he got, there was a bracelet ceremony. So he picked up his I two WCOOP bracelets. It was at EPT Prague. <laughs> it was always a tradition that every year at EPT Prague, they would award WCOOP bracelets. Yeah. So... As is completely his right, he, he didn't want his, his real name out there. He's from Sweden. That's pretty common for Swedish players. We got a photo of this guy collecting two bracelets, and that photo has done some mileage. I can tell you, it's always on the blog. <laughs> but, uh, but still, what if it really <laughs> is God? Like you know, like from Dogma or like Joan of Arcadia, or it's just like God <laughs> loves online poker and occasionally wins a W coup. Yeah, I mean, he's, done, he's won two EPT online main events as well. But, you know, I think he's doing a pretty good job of keeping his head down because he never wins the absolute maximum. But, you know, that's a, probably the best way if he really is God, yeah. I'm just going to say <laughs> that if you've been following the European Poker Tour since the very beginning, you might look at that photo and you might <laughs> recognize his face. Uh, and, of course, talking of the EPT, this is our two-time EPT online main event champion we're that's talking right. about. That's him, yeah. I mean, and that's the, the question, of course, is like, does that count as a uh, as an EPT? Uh, my opinion is 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 not, but you know, APT Online is still a huge achievement, and he won back to back, which is which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah so the other, just to round up, last night, uh, yeah, Jans Arens, remember him? He Graf Tekel. Graf Tekel, uh, yeah, yeah. He won another one. Um, he's pretty well known. Obviously, won the four max 1k4 max and the other the other area of note from last night brazil went past 50 titles of course they did so when we're saying last night we mean uh we mean wednesday night so 50 Um, titles over the the history of (laughs) wq yeah if only so no that's this year of this that's this year only yeah so, i'm gonna put a little asterisk against that though because at least three of those wins are Rui ferreira who's actually portuguese unlike yeah. the uk where nasa is 100 percent <laughs> british and those victories belong in the uk but, but that is very true but they have all this is pretty interesting so brazil have got 50 titles but none of the following have won one so yuri martins the nerd guy Bruno Voltman, Great Dant, and Pedro Garagnani, who's PVGAR. They are crushers in uh, in these coupes, and yes. none of them have won one this year. Neither has Pedro Badilla. Uh, you know, those guys have got, I think between them, they've got like 15 coupes. So, you know, and they haven't won. So, okay, <laughs> we're going to have to take off Rui Ferreira's, but, you know, where have those guys gone there's, this year? There's still a week to go, Howard. There's still plenty <laughs> of time for them to appear. Yeah. But on the subject of players like that... Um, Our focus on the live streams has been on the World Championship events. There are 12 in total. Now, we've primarily focused on the Hold'em versions with replays of, like, uh, Raz 8-game on Twitch in the afternoons leading up to our live streams. I think what's been an interesting narrative is that most of these tournaments, most of these special World Championship events, have been won by established, well-known pros. Yeah, you're right. I mean, with with only one exception, they've either been super well known pros or Norwegian. That's the two the two uh, categories. <laughs> so the the world champions. I've got a list here if you want to just rattle through. Uh, so yes. Olashemian, Sergio Aido, Bellamino, Bellamino de Souza, Jalviera, Charlotte Van Brabander uh, won the ladies' event this week, uh, and then the three Norwegians are ALX Banana, 
Chilolini Alligator 14. Now we know all those guys from on the online game, but I again they, they I don't know their real names, but they're you know regular players. And then the, the sort of I guess the outlier is Rue 400 for, uh, and that's that person's won two uh, two events this this year, including one of the world championships. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, those those sort of flagship events, they've all gone to the uh to the big pros, which is great. Yeah, I just want to get a quick plug in because the main event this year is a 10k rather than a 5k. It becomes the world championship of no limit hold'em. And Joe, this will conclude our four weeks of live streaming, three consecutive days of live coverage, Monday through Wednesday. That's the 26th to the 28th. And always enjoy getting our teeth into a main event and multi-day coverage. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's when we get to know new players, right? Like how many times do we see players that sort of go deep in that WCOOP main event who end up becoming people who are now on the radar? People like, for example, like a Fedor Holtz who comes in and wins WCOOP and then ends up being a poker household name over yeah. the next decade. Yeah. Um Going to ask you to use your crystal ball, Howard. With one week of WCOOP to go, do you expect to see more multiple champions, more Brazilian dominance? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, like Brazilians are definitely going to win. Uh, they're definitely going to beat their record of 57. That's that's pretty pretty obvious. And I also think we'll, we'll definitely see more multiples. And I'm also going to really stick my neck out. I think it's not impossible that uh, João Fiera and Rui Ferreira are going to win more themselves. They've, they're still playing everything because of this player of the series race. So yes. I think it's not impossible that we could see like four or five titles even for one of those guys right. uh, that would that would be tie you know tie with the record most for most ever which is five in a series but yeah okay that's my that's my really bold prediction that one of those is going to win at least four uh, titles this year um well you mentioned player of the series and i want to end on that because this looks like it will go to the wire this, yeah, is, this exciting is the most stuff. exciting it's been in a long time yes, i think agreed yeah, really true. Uh, like so, all of those guys that we talked about at the top of this section. So you know, the, the the three players who've won three events, and then the people who keep coming second are obviously getting getting loads of player of the series points too. So yeah, Jao Jao uh, Vieira, uh, Rui Ferreira, Benny Glaser. You know, they're all playing low buy-in events as well. They're all doing really well. And then you know, we're not even mentioned Patrick Leonard, who's sort of like bubbling under a little bit. He won his first title this week. Um, yeah, it's going to go all the way. And uh, yeah, we're going to have to keep up on uh, keep updating that every day, I think. Absolutely. Well, Howard is providing those updates on a daily basis for the PokerStars blog, and he will continue to be part of our live streams until the end of the series. I uh, should highlight that we talked to a multiple WCOOP winner and a player who is a strong contender for player of the series during the Super High Roller stream, uh, Benny Glaser. And we thought we'd give you guys another chance to hear from him. Here is an extended version of that interview. Benny, run godlike Glaser. Welcome and congratulations on your results so far. Hey, James. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I remember very clearly, Benny, when we first talked to you back in 2018. It was right after you won your first WCOOP. You have won a title every year since. So do you now come into the series expecting a trophy? <laughs> kind of, yeah. I think with <laughs> the number of events there are, um, and considering I'm playing almost everything, I think I'm probably a favorite to win an event pretty much every series, I think. Yeah. Without trying to sound arrogant, but there are so many no, events that, yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, looking at 
this year specifically, objectively, two wins, five runner-up finishes. That is incredibly impressive. But I'm guessing there's a part of you thinking, I should have seven trophies. <laughs> For sure, yeah. It's always kind of that way in tournaments. It's kind of hard. It's always bittersweet. Um, most of those second places, I was chip like chip leader for a lot of it and like had chances to win most of them so that kind of makes it hard and definitely does potentially leave you with the feeling of like i should have won this or i really wanted to win this and it was like so yeah there there's definitely that aspect to it it's always kind of the way with tournaments though i'm going to focus on the positive uh you're a serious contender for player of the series are you going to change your approach at all the last few days? Make that your focus or just continue with your normal game plan? Uh, yes. And for the last like week or so, I've been changing some of my approach as well. I've been playing every low, like all the $5 no limits, all the 11s, where otherwise I would potentially skip them to just focus on the bigger stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm playing every single tier of pretty much every event uh i skipped the 25k um there are a couple of 5k no limits that i might have skipped that i will now play um going for the overall and high leaderboard um so yep just adding in those couple of extra tournaments and there's maybe one other 10k that i'll play extra in addition to yeah really go for the overall leaderboard so what's your routine for playing mtt six days a week as far as like getting up going to bed i mean w coop and scoops kind of its own thing really like the routines for those are very different to like any other routines um now I'm in uh, Vancouver, so the time zone is uh, very early. So I'm kind of typically stuck, starting my grind around 9.30, 10 a.m. So I'm up for maybe an hour before that and then uh, playing till about 5.36. So then I have kind of the evening free to kind of try to decompress my brain from all of the poker of the day. Um, so... I would like to say it's more kind of interesting afterwards, but really like the days are just so intense and exhausting, especially when uh, I'm going for the leaderboard, as I said, that I might just want to decompress, do nothing, maybe go to the gym, go have a walk, go, I can go see the sunset. That's quite nice. I've been doing that a lot. So just kind of trying to relax and then uh, hopefully be ready for the following day. Yeah. Um, as Howard often highlights, Benny, none of your six titles have come from a Hold'em event. Do you feel that you have a stronger edge in mixed games tournaments? Definitely, yeah. Mixed is where I specialize in, and I'm definitely one of the, the top few in every mixed game field. So definitely do feel my edge is bigger there. Um, and... Whilst I do still like kind of study and play Hold'em a fair bit, there are a lot of like the elite guys who I think uh, have the edge on me there, basically. Um, and 
I now have two second places in Hold'em events, which is kind of frustrating. <laughs> like earlier this this series, I I really hoped that was going to change when I got the second in the twenty-two. That was pretty bittersweet. Um, so that would have been nice to kind of I guess get that monkey off my back. Um, but yeah, it makes this where I have the biggest edge, I think. And who do you consider to be the other elite players at those disciplines? I mean, who do you not want to see at your table? I assume anyone with a Norwegian flag presents a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Norwegians have really uh, been stepping up the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, Chilean and Senkel, I'm playing in pretty much every event. And yeah, always seeing them. They're uh, tough competitors. Um, who else? There are a couple of guys that uh, haven't really been playing this series. They played like two events, for example, Raul Gonzalez and Don't Hit and Run Me Please. They're definitely the uh, most elite guys out there, but um, they've been taking time off, basically. So there's uh, two events that they played. Raul pretty much just wanted to try and defend his title in the 10k8 game for the third year in a row. Um, there are a couple of others, I guess. Nazo just won his uh, third title again. I never really enjoy having him at my, at my table. <laughs> Um, anyone else? Yeah, he's, uh, one of the main tougher ones as well. Yeah. Benny, I know that you're pretty frustrated, as you just said, about at least uh, one or two of those runner-up finishes. Were there any spots where you were just like, oh, come on, that you were just like, really, really? Yeah. Okay. Looks like yes. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Yes. There was, uh, in the 2K No Limit, especially, uh, I had, I think it was five chances all in to win uh, one. I was like one river away when he had like 10% or something and he rivered the chop. And uh, yeah, that kind of went from there. That one was pretty frustrating. And yeah, the no limit one as well. I think it was maybe four chances or so to win. So when there are just like so many repeat, it kind of does get <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. So, all right, let's look at the flip side of that then. Were there any of those heads-up losses where you just shrugged your shoulders and you were like, yeah, I tried my best. Eh, it was probably not ever going to happen for me. Um, I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> I guess not really, to be honest. I think, <laughs> um, <laughs> again, might sound arrogant, but I think all of my heads-up opponents I had the edge on... Um, and especially when uh, some of them were in the lows. The, oh, I mean, the five-card drawer as well, he probably was more of a specialist than I was at that exact game. But again, like I had him all in two or three times. Um, the $22 No Limit 08, uh, the other guy had a big advantage on me or something like a four-to-one chip lead for a lot of it. Um, but then I kind of just like shrug when it's just like, I get boat over boated multiple times and stuff like that. It's just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I always think about the heads up specifically where you think like maybe you could have done something differently. Though. So it's kind of a hard place to finish a lot of the time. Yeah, you don't seem like the kind of person who is particularly easy on yourself or, or anything else when those things don't go your way. I guess what I would like to know is... What goals? I know that you know player of the year is definitely a possibility for you. Beyond that, 
what goals are you working towards? Like, would you want to beat Naza's record or Adrenaline, who each have nine WCOOP titles? Is that something you're gunning for? So, yeah, play with the series, as you said, I'm definitely going for the other record that I wanted or had basically until yesterday was uh, most w most coupe titles overall. Uh, Nazar and I were on joint at 13, so I wanted to get that uh, one extra to be that outright number one. Oh. But now, sadly, it's just overtaken me yesterday, so he's gone into first. So. That was one uh, that I was looking to have overall uh, scoop and W coop titles. Yeah, so I'm still trying for that one. Do you? I'm sorry. One more question about the runner-up finishes because this is something that I struggle with, and I think a lot of our listeners do too. I, if I were to finish second in a W coop, I would be like, man, I will never be there again. I will never be in this position again. That was my one shot. You've had seven shots this particular series, but how do you feel when that happens? Do you feel like, oh, that's frustrating, but you're like, I'll just be back here again tomorrow. Like, is that is that how you approach it? <laughs> it it's hard to say. Uh, one thing is I'm playing probably smaller fields than uh, you or most of the listeners would be. So in the kind of, 40 person 50 person events for some of them it's uh, definitely easier to get there um but <laughs> like i don't expect to get a heads up in like the twelve and a half thousand person field <laughs> for example sure, which yeah. i did manage to so that that i uh am aware is kind of crazy and it's <sighs> it's honestly a difficult spot to be in like especially if i uh tell other people about it or like put it on social media or something i'm like you know i got a second in whatever and people like you know this is incredible they would be very happy about it uh but it's it's hard for me because there's still that frustration and <laughs> at the same time i don't want to be a dick and be like yeah i got a second in this um sure. but it's yeah and it's hard to that. say for example like yesterday when i got second in uh the 22 dollar triple draw for about 2000 like it's 100 buy-ins that's a lot of buy-ins but considering the rest of my days sucked and i played like definitely over 10k in buy-ins like i'm still down on the day so it's very hard kind of juggling that emotionally really um yeah but yes with I think overall the edge I have in mixed games and the amount of uh, events they are, I think it's you know still likely that I get there frequently. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's that, that's fair enough. One final question before we let you go, Benny. Now that live poker is back, are you playing on the international circuit yes. much? I am. Yeah, I went to Barcelona for that whole festival. That was really nice to see everyone again. Yeah. Uh, after yeah, not seeing people for two and a half years or three years, all the EPT stuff. That was great to see everyone. Um, I'll probably be going to Vegas for uh, another festival there a week after WQ finishes, which I'm excited for. EPT London, definitely excited for. And the Bahamas, definitely going to that. And uh, yeah, those should be a lot of fun. It's, uh, yeah. Exactly. Very excited for those. Fantastic. And still one week of WCOOP to go. Benny, thank you for sparing the yes. time to talk to us and best of luck with the rest of the series. Thank you very much, James. Thanks, sir. Take care, guys.
It is superfan time now on the podcast, and we welcome to the show Bennett Griffin. Hello, Bennett. Hello, James. Very nice to meet you. I am thrilled that you are a real person. When we had an application from a Bennett Griffin, I thought, mm. is this Griffin Benger playing I mean, games with us? No, I actually had the name first, so I need to take that up with Griffin Benger, as a matter of fact. Just let him know I'll be speaking to him. <laughs> we'll send him in your direction. Tell us about yourself, Bennett. Where are you from and what do you do? I am from Ireland. I'm now living in London uh, with my wife, whom I met in Australia, although she's also from the UK. So a complicated uh, backstory there. Mm. I work as a, a contractor for the UK Civil Service as a project manager. I'm between contracts at the moment, which is why I'm able to take time off to speak to you two lovely people. Is being between contracts something that's normal for you or something that is scary for you? No, it's it's uh, it's manageable. I was uh, my last stint was three years with a government legal department, so wow. I'm, happy, I'm happy to take. I've had six weeks off now, which is just at the upper end of what my wife is comfortable with. So I'll, I'll, be, getting, <laughs> I'll be getting another job shortly. And is it the sort of thing where the jobs are just available when you want them, or? Um... The employment, there... the employment market for the public sector is pretty good at the moment, okay, I have to say. Cool. And I want to acknowledge how lucky I've been that I've been in full-time work for the whole of the last three years, even during the time of, right. of lockdown. So I've, I've Us had too. a pretty good lockdown. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. really, I must say I really enjoyed your redos of the EPT uh, commentaries in particular. I, I listened to them uh, all the way through, uh, through lockdown. They were great. Oh, hey, Bennett's I... the guy who was watching them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone was. That was going to be my next question, Bennett, is at what point in your life did you discover the wonderful world of poker? Oh, I'm very much a moneymaker kid myself. Um, I think... I was watching poker on late night poker with uh, with my then girlfriend back in 02 and 03, just yeah, before yeah. The, the moneymaker effect. So I remember Jesse May, and that's where I first learned uh, the the special qualities of Phil Phil Helmuth and people like that. But then when the moneymaker effect happened, I'd moved to Australia, and Australia had a boom in pub poker, which was great fun. So I played a lot of pub poker back then. Since moving to the UK, I've I've hardly played live poker at all, and I've become quite a crap player. So. Uh, <laughs> I always admire anyone who is able to give I'm an rubbish. honest assessment of their abilities because most people like to pretend they're really good at poker. And anytime they butcher a hand, it's because they got horribly unlucky. Yeah, but James, even though some of us admit to being like, I'll say like, I'm not that good at poker. I'm still lying. Like, I'm actually terrible at poker. <laughs> I'm just I'm still over <laughs> overstating my skill level. But Stapes, you're 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 an institution, or you should be in an institution. I mean, you, you've you've brought so much to the to the poker world. You know, terms we would never have thought of ourselves, like chip in a chair and hold cards. I, I love your contributions. Yeah, things. I look. It, it's taken a long time, but finally, chip in a chair caught on since I came up with it in 2022. It's been a short eight. Excuse me, 2014. 2014, of short, course. Yeah. yeah, it's been a, it's been a short eight years, but I'm glad it's finally caught on. Absolutely. Um, now, we are going to give you the chance to play some poker, Bennett. There is a $109 Sunday Million ticket up for grabs in this Superfan quiz. Uh, you chose the movie The Wild Bunch. We talked about it at the top of the show. Uh, when you listen back to the podcast, you'll hear about my personal experience with this movie. Joe watched it for the first time last night. Patrick watched it for the first time to compile this quiz. Why did you pick this film? Because it is my favorite. My father first showed it to me when I was eight years old. I've seen it at least, at least 25 times since then. Oh, yeah. My father's very into inappropriate uh, upbringing. 
<laughs> I Clearly. Think he wishes he was Sam Peckinpah. I think if I had been 8 to 14 years old when I saw this movie for the first time, it might have also been my favorite movie. <laughs> I'll take that as a, a, a subtly double-edged compliment. Thank you. Yeah, so- it's exactly what it is. It's because I can understand why this might be a, a, a movie that a young boy would be fascinated with when you also have not had other sort of violence and sex films introduced to your life no it's it's more seminal than that it, uh, modern movies wouldn't be the way they are without peck and pat forgive I, me i haven't had a chance to listen to your intro otherwise i would already be disagreeing with uh, half of the things you're saying <laughs> i mean i don't disagree with anything you're saying uh, and i do think it's very much uh, uh, it is an important film in cinema history it's very much a film of its time i am interested if you can look at it objectively though uh, Bennett, if you saw that film for the first time today, do you think you'd have the same appreciation for it? I think I'd have to look at it with with modern eyes. I was watching it la- last night and this morning for the first time in five years, and some parts of it have aged very badly indeed. Although Peckinpah was an admirer of Mexican culture, it comes across as very uh, stereotypically Mexican. If I saw actors actors doing an Irish accent like that, I wouldn't be all that impressed. It's also um, deeply misogynistic, as most of Peckinpah's work is. Yeah. And it's also very stylized, but then so is Sergio Leone. So are a lot of yeah. other directors that I love. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I've always preferred Leone to Peckinpah. Seems and I've always, I've always preferred Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid to the Wild Bunch. But we're getting sidetracked. This is about you. This is your selection. This is your favorite Good movie. Good stuff, though, Bennett. I've, we could do a whole, mo- a whole episode talking movies with Bennett. <laughs> movies with Bennett we go it's a spin-off show uh, 10 questions Don't are available to you with multiple choice options should you need them but remember more points if you can just get the answer outright please give me a number between 1 and 10 I'm going to start with 1 number 1 you get a nice softball here I'm not even going to offer you the options in what year was the film released that would be the year of our lord 1969 correct for two points joe you missed what might be the only really super simple question damn i would have gotten that one uh i'm liking the way bennett's going though i'll take number two okay well maybe this is not too bad it's been a while since i've seen the film in which state does the film begin in which state of the u.s does the film begin Texas. Correct for two points. Tied game going into the second round. Uh, We don't have to go chronologically. You can have any number between three and ten, Bennett. I'll have nine then, please. Number nine. What city is General Mapache based in? He's based in Agua Verde. He is for two points. All right. I got that one. That was going to be one of my questions to you, Joe. Do you see the influence this film had on the original Red Dead Redemption? Hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I think there's lots of stuff pulled from many Westerns from Red Dead Redemption, but yeah, for sure. Anywho, uh, one, two, and nine have gone. Any other number, Joe? Okay, I'll play your game, you rogue. I'll go with number 10. (laughs) Pike says what famous line about the hostages in the opening robbery? Pike says what famous line about the hostages in... Um, it's something like only shoot them if they move. I, I I guess I'll have to take the choices here. Is it time to meet your creators? Go ahead, make my day. <laughs> wrong place, wrong time. Or if they move, kill them. If they move, kill them. Correct for a single point. Ding. Any number between three and eight, Bennett. I'll take number six, please. Number six. 
Ah, another softball. Name the actor who plays Pike Bishop. That is William Holden. It is for two points. Who, like Sam Peckinpah, was a fan of the source? He was. Joseph. This was another movie like that. Um, like that. What was the the movie with um, the, the the poker movie? Shit with the fucking crooner who seemed drunk the whole time. A lot of the guys in this movie seemed actually drunk. Man with the golden arm. Yeah. No. The uh, anyway. It doesn't matter. Three, uh, quick, four, five, seven, or eight. It's always coming seven. I don't get a chance to say that very often. That's five card starred Dean Martin. That's the movie you're thinking. That of. was the one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. Seven. What him is playing as the gang escapes from their opening robbery? Uh, meet me by the river. I'm going to give it to you. Shall we gather at the river? But ultimately, you knew which one it was. Okay. Okay. You still have a one-point advantage, Bennett, going into the penultimate round. Three, four, five, and eight are your options. Let me take five, please. Which character survives at the end of the film? Character from the bunch, you mean? Yes. Uh, that would be Sykes, played by Edmund O'Brien. It is Sykes for two points. And a little bit of bonus information there that doesn't earn you a bonus point. <laughs> yeah, I figured. <laughs> so, three, four, or eight. Uh, let's go with Snowmen's Num Num. Deke Thornton agrees to help the bounty hunters find the bunch in exchange for what? Deke Thornton is the... Oh, in exchange for his his freedom. Parole. I'll give you the points. Yeah. So, the score is eight points to Bennett, seven points to Joe as we go into the final round. Three or four, odd or even. Those are your options, Bennett. Odd. Number three. Which member of the bunch is mercifully killed as they cannot continue riding due to their injuries? Oh... Damn. That's a tough one. That's that is fucking tough. tough. I never made the effort to memorize that guy's name. I'm going to need the choices for that one, James. Is it Pike, Thornton, Buck, or Crazy Lee? It's down to two. Uh, yeah. Laugh the audience. <laughs> oh. Gonna have to guess. It's Buck. It is Buck for a Ooh, point. What is flip? He okay. won his flip. So, Joe, yeah. if you can answer question four without taking the multiple choice options, we go to the tiebreaker. Okay. What did Angel do when he saw his girlfriend, Teresa, with General Mapache? He shoots her in the chest. He does for two points, which means we are going to the tiebreaker. And... As ever, it is a numerical answer. And Bennett, when you hear the question, you will have the choice of answering that question yourself or getting Joe to answer it. And then you decide whether you want to go over or under his answer. The question is, what was the estimated budget for the film? I'm going to let Joe answer that because I haven't got a bull's notion. Okay. Joe, what do you believe the estimated budget for The Wild Bunch was? Three million dollars. Three million dollars is Joe's number. Are you going to go higher or lower, Bennett? I think I'm going to go lower than that. You should have gone higher. 6.2 million was the budget for The Wild Bunch in 1969. I know. It's a rare Joe Stapleton victory in Superfan versus Stapes. But I don't need to be disheartened, Bennett, because you still get 
the brand new Poker in the Ears t-shirt and your choice of a Poker in the Ears mug or an Always Coming 7 mug. That's another tough choice. I'm looking forward to losing sleep over that one. <laughs> <laughs> we will be in touch to talk to you about your prize selection, but thank you so much for volunteering to do this. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. It's been a pleasure, guys. I love listening to your commentary. You are the best poker commentators around, and that's not just a f- sick of fancy, although it is sick of fancy, but I do really <laughs> enjoy it. Um, I am in London, and I was going to ask whether it might be possible to spot you and shake your hand during the uh, EPT London. Absolutely. We will be there. We will be at the Hilton for the week of the main event, streaming from the 24th to the 28th of October. Contact us on Twitter, and we'll arrange it. We'll sort that out. Looking and I'll probably do some stand-up comedy the week before. If uh, you want to bring your friends, I'll buy you all a drink. Yeah, I'll bring my friends unless I want to keep them, to quote Douglas Adams. (laughs) (laughs) All right, get out of here. Bennett, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. All right, my babies. We're just about out of time for this week's show. However, I did promise we were going to talk about some hands. I think maybe we're going to save most of them. And have Maria really give it to me. What we can we can discuss these hands. We can talk about them on the Discord if you guys want. Get your opinions on them. But it's probably better for me to get an opinion other than James's in yeah. the moment. Yeah, uh, Maria. Number one normally has a financial interest in how you play poker, and number two is obviously going to bring a lot more analysis to the table than I can. Right. So she did not have a financial interest in this one. I wish she had because. <laughs> uh, so typically, are we basically saying that Maria dodged a bullet here? Yes, and I did not offer her a piece of this one because of this reason. I just haven't felt really that. I, I just like I feel bad because yeah. I just never went or never even come close. So this particular trip, usually James on these trips, um, the final tables on a Sunday, and then we're recording on a Monday, whether it's W Coop or whether it's the Sunday Million, and so. I don't fire multiple bullets in these things because the last thing I want to do is be like playing late in the in a Sunday and be like stuck a bunch of money and, you know, and then like have to fly home at five o'clock in the morning when the final table ends at two or three a.m. In this particular case, we didn't broadcast on Monday. So I was like, you know what? I do think I have an edge in this field. I'm going to fire as many bullets as I think. And there were four starting flights and I ended up playing three of them. Um, and do, playing one satellite. So I did not cash in the satellite. I did not cash in any of the three flights I paid. It's a $600 main event, which ended up costing me $1,950. Wow. So this is from my second bullet. Uh, blinds were 200, 300, and I just had my starting stack. Uh, 200, 300, 300, big blind ante. Yep, being 300. sure. Makes sense. Uh, my, I still have my around my starting stack of uh, 30,000 chips. So you have a 100 big blind stack. Yeah, something like that. I probably have like 27, 28,000, something like that. Okay. Basically, more than 50. So you are yes. able to play as creatively yes. as you wish. I, I raised a couple, 200, 300 is like level two or three. Uh, I raised a couple of hands, missed didn't uh, do do anything. So here we go. I have ace seven off. Okay, folds in the small blind. Yep, fold. And it is uh, raised in late position. Yeah, I, by, I, I'm sticking with fold, but keep okay, going by a frequent raiser. And uh, I decide that I am going to look. Part of my strategy for this particular trip is to not play as tight as I usually play. I am always folding hands like a seven, 
um, ace eight, even ace nine. I'm folding most of the time. I don't bluff very much. I wait to hit hands. And if I miss, I fold. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is a problem. Maybe I need to be more aggressive. Maybe I need to take a few more spots. So I decide I'm going to three bet from the small blind. Someone had made it 800 and I three bet to 2200 from the small blind. Yeah. Now, again, I am not an expert. My general understanding, though, is if I'm going to make a move like this, if I get called or I'm more likely to get called if my opponent is in position, therefore, I probably would have gone at least full 3x the 800. I probably would have gone to 24, 2500. Okay. Not that that probably is going to make any difference. So one of the strategies I'm also trying to adjust is that I think in general, my pre-flop bet sizing is almost always, I was a, a bit of a three Xer and my post-flop bet sizing. I think I was betting too much. Also, I think that I was betting, I was betting like nearly half pot for my continuation bets. And in this particular trip, I was trying to make it more like a third because I do think that a third just still accomplishes the same as, as half does. And I'm not basically my whole th- attitude has shifted somewhat from I run bad to my opponents run good. And so if I'm going to be betting into someone that just hits the flop every time, I want to at least be betting a third of the pot instead of half. So I go from 800 to 2200. I do get called. And lo and behold, James, this is one of the few times this has happened in the last two years. I smashed this flop. The flop comes ace, queen, seven. Okay. Two pair. I mean, I think there are two ways to play this. I think you could even check with the aim to check raise the flop rather than continue but i don't dislike continuing here i don't anytime i try to check raise it just doesn't end up working out for me and so because i've been employing the smaller uh c-bet sizing i was like what a perfect opportunity to bet small on this flop and and actually have a value hand so i continue for two thousand okay smaller than the pre-flop three bet yep now, now all of us now I'm now I'm back. Now in the turn, Joe Stapleton is back because the turn is a queen. A queen, that is correct. So you just got counterfeited and now you hate your life. Immediately counterfeited, immediately hate my life. This is what I'm used to happening. Not only am I not improving, but I'm actually disproving what is it? The lack well, of it. Well, you're assuming, however, that your opponent also has an ace, which is not necessarily it's, the case. No, I'm assuming is that my hand now is less value than it had before. It does, but I don't necessarily think that you should shut down on the turn. Good call. I don't shut down on the turn. I bet 3,000. Okay, I think you need to go bigger on the turn if you are going to bet the turn. I agree with the small bet sizing on the flop. I feel that by the turn, we need to start pumping it up. Okay, well... Our opponent takes care of that for us oh. because my opponent makes it 8K. Okay, so clearly repping a queen. Um, repping a queen or, or or an ace, you know, or just a, a, a decent size ace. Uh, but I, think, I think, yes. I think a decent size ace is not raising ridiculously like that. Um, are there any draws out there? Any any flush draw? I do not. I did not make a note of a flush draw. Okay. So I don't, I don't think there was one. Um. You know me, Joe. I am a huge nit, especially during the early levels of an MTT. I do not feel the need to go any further in this hand 
And if I've just been bluffed off the best, so be it. I'm folding at this point. Okay. Well, I just, I fold all the time in these spots. Always. I'm always folding. That's one of the things people who watch the Texas Card House live stream said that I fold way too much. I'm too tight. I'm exploitable. So I snap call. Right. This raise of Ace K. I'm getting defiant. I'm definitely letting emotion play a part here. I snap call. The river is a nine. Okay. And now I've decided that look, I don't I, I can't really value bet this hand, but I can catch a bluff. I am ninety-five percent certain your opponent is not bluffing here. I'm ninety-five percent certain you do not have the best hand. That's why I would have folded the turn. Um I'm assuming your opponent does not check back the river, but bets. My opponent does check back the river. Oh, okay. And I'm good. Wow. My opponent mucks. My hand is good. My wow. opponent mucks. And the reason I bring this hand up is because a guy two to my left goes, snap call the raise, no value on the river. And I immediately felt the need to defend myself. Oh, Joe. Felt the, I was like, yeah, well, sometimes they bluff the river. And then it, and I thought the guy was picking on me because I'm me, right? Like part of the reason I go to these events is I'm there as an ambassador for that particular brand. They, you know, they take care of my hotel and stuff like that. So uh, I, people often know who I am. They're there because they're getting a kick out of playing with me. People play pots, say things to me because they want to talk to the TV commentator guy. And um, so I feel the need to defend it. And about 10 minutes goes by and it turns out this guy has no idea who I am. Just feels the need to just randomly criticize another player at the table. Just feels the need to randomly criticize another player okay. at the table. So actually, I led off with a hand that I won. Okay. I don't know. I okay. don't know what the other player had, and that's something that I'm learning is that in these events, I think that the sort of our um, our training and the sorts of players we play against are not the sorts of players I'm playing against in these events. And I think I need to get a little looser, call down a little bit more. And if I go broke in level two or three, a lot of good players who go deep in these events that I play with are often going broke in level yeah. two, three, four. It's making that adjustment and understanding that this isn't a 25K in W Coop. This isn't a 5K EPT main event. Well, I proved my point, didn't I? I was almost 100% certain that you were losing there and actually you were ahead. And that's why we do need Maria to analyze these <laughs> hands. So let's save the rest until she's with us. Again, in the coming weeks, in addition to having Maria on as a guest, we will talk to Sam Grafton about his huge score recently. Uh, there will be another podcast next week, which will be our WCOOP recap because just to remind you guys we've got our last three streams monday tuesday and wednesday of next week that's the 26th 27th 28th of september in the meantime um don't just want to give a shout out to discord joe i know we always do and we say that the link is in the podcast description but we should also promote the hashtag p-i-t-e hashtag okay. pite on twitter our most recent slew of superfans coming up in the next few weeks have come from Twitter rather than Discord. And I appreciate that not everyone necessarily wants to be part of Discord. So if you do want to get in touch, if there's anything you want to say about the show, or you do want to get your superfan application in via a different medium, um, you can still use Twitter. Use the hashtag poker in the ears. But equally, don't want to discourage people from joining the conversation on our Discord either. Yeah, totally. We want people to get on board regardless of whatever medium it is, as long as it's Twitter or Discord. Um, 
other than that, we, you guys are shit out of luck. But thank you for uh, for for hop James. We got a whole bunch of super fans lined up, all coming through from Twitter. So I'm super stoked. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, my babies. Well, that is all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Mm-hmm.